If you prefer to do your own driving when you visit Europe, it helps to know what to expect from your fellow motorists. The Germans are used to obey the law. So if there's a sign coming up 100, and they're driving 180, they go on their brakes right there. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Coming up, tour bus drivers share tips for driving on the continent. And if you rent a car to explore Ireland, you'll find it's getting easier than ever to get around. There's been a lot of investment from the European Union into the infrastructure in Ireland. So for the first time, we have what we call motorways. But if you slow down and enjoy a canoe ride under the Pont du Gard in the south of France, this is what you'll find. Then you turn a corner and you get in front of those three layer of arches bridge, which is enormous. It's a mind-blowing experience. You walk underneath there and it's very, very impressive. Explore the scenery of Provence and the Irish countryside and get tips for driving yourself around Europe. It's just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. When you dream of visiting beautiful places around the world, I'm willing to bet that Ireland and the south of France are high on your list. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Coming up today on Travel with Rick Steves, guides from France inspire us to experience the beauty of Provence for ourselves. And friends from Ireland offer options for getting around the rural landscape of their island home. That often means renting a car and adapting to the different ways things operate from back home. We'll take your calls on Ireland and Provence in just a bit at 877-333-RICK. For more than 25 years as a tour guide, I've really enjoyed toasting the bus driver at the end of a tour to show my appreciation for how they seamlessly get us in and out of Europe's crowded cities, over those alpine passes and across borders. There's really no better expert at understanding the driving challenges you'll encounter in Europe than the folks who do it for a living. Joining us for an overview of what it's like driving in Europe are two tour bus drivers based in Belgium, Dimi Rigas and Joe Stulens. Joe and Dimi, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you, Rick. Dimi, when you drive on the roads of Europe, are there some countries that have better engineered roads than other? Well, yeah, of course. What do you think when you cross a border? I'm leaving one country to the next. What do you notice as a driver? You actually see, uh, for example, signs. Germany will have different colors of signs. French will have different colors of signs. It's very important that you really realize that when you're crossing borders. So when you're in Germany, you can look for the colors. Like like Autobahn, for example. The Autobahn, that's a good example. In France, the Autobahn signs would be blue. And, and in Germany, Germany it's green. So, so when I'm in France in a town and I want to find the freeway, I'm just looking for blue signs. Yes, but in exactly. Germany, you'd want to change Yes, that. and also the exits. Those are the tricky things, I think. Uh, for example, Italy will give you the sign for the exit right after the exit, right there. Right. And uh, in France or somewhere else, you'll have it just before it. So it can be tricky because you think, oh, it's going to be a little bit further, but it's not. It's right there. And that changes from country to country. Yes, it does. I like Britain because you have roundabouts, and then you can take two or three trips (laughs) around the circle and try to figure out the crazy signs. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Joe, when you're driving, how does the driving experience change from country to country? Yeah, it changes sometimes, yes, especially when we drive into Italy. More crazy? More crazy drivers? In Italy? Oh, yes. How so? But we are with the big bus, so we have not so much trouble with this. So the big bus has uh, (laughs) no problem with all these little Fiat. We always do winner, I think. (laughs) Almost. (laughs) You find uh, the drivers are of a different temperament from country to country? Yeah, I think so, yeah. So tell me, anybody, what is the thought about how the drivers are in Germany compared to France, compared to Well, in general, more aggressive. In the whole Europe. All of Europe is more aggressive than America. It is aggressive. If you're driving in Germany, and if you have a big bus, like Mm -hmm. people can't bully you around, but if you're just in a little car and you're cruising, going less than 100 miles an hour in the fast lane, you've got people climbing up your tailpipe. Oh, yeah. And the idea is, the ethic is, never cruise in the fast lane. Always move to the the right. Also, a very dangerous thing, too, if you drive in Germany, for example, when you don't have a speed limit, the Germans are used to obey the law, like mm-hmm. it really is written. So if there's a sign coming up 100, and they're driving 180, they go on their brakes right there. So they'll drive 180 until exactly. they hit the 100 sign. And yes. then because Germans are famously, exactly. almost notoriously good at obeying yeah. the rules, yeah. they will slam on their brakes even on the freeway to get exactly. down to that 100. And then if you don't know that as a foreigner... You're going to hit him because you don't expect that, you know, like it's it's really like a dangerous thing that happens a lot. That's very interesting. I hadn't uh, considered that. Our guests right now on Travel with Rick Steves are Joe Stulens and Demi Rigas. They're professional tour bus drivers from Europe, and they're giving us a look into their world and what it's like motoring on the continent. 
Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And by email, we're at radio at ricksteves.com. April's checking in with us from Roseville, California. April, what's your experience driving in Europe? Oh, my husband and I have driven in Sweden and Austria, Switzerland, and a lot in Germany over the years. And there's not many drivers in, in the Scandinavian countries. It's easy driving there, and the roads are great. Driving on the autobahns in Germany, keep to the right. Stay out of the fast lane unless you really, really mean to pass, and be sure you look really carefully before you get out in that left lane. Boy, I always feel like, uh, just like a lot of Americans will fight to the death for their right to have a gun in Germany, people will fight to the death for their right to drive with no speed limit. Exactly, and you've got to try it once to drive you got to try it once. <laughs> and when I get home after a trip driving through Germany and I, I get it down to our limits here in the United States, it's like you can get out and walk faster. It just <laughs> You're going 70 miles an hour, but you're, you're accustomed to going close to 100, and it is an adjustment. April, you're talking about the sparse population of Scandinavia. They've got good roads up there, very little traffic, and people told me Scandinavia is dangerous from a driving point of view, and especially Norway is dangerous because it's so darn scenic. you got to stop the car and look at the view, otherwise you're always going to be keeping your eye off the road, and, and that's actually a challenge. Exactly, and the other thing is they drive slower than we do. In Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. And also wildlife. Uh, another mindset. <laughs> and also what? Wildlife. Uh, wildlife, this yes. is true. What, what would the wildlife risks be, Demi? No, but I mean... You, in Scandinavia. You, 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 those roads are, you know, in the middle of the forest. And here and comes a moose. Here comes yeah. a moose. Yeah, exactly. And that can be a fatal accident. And there's a lot of accidents that happen with wildlife, yeah. Uh, and in Italy, you're, you're just more likely to drive over a pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's not going to be quite so catastrophic. Over a small Fiat. <laughs> or a small Fiat. <laughs> April, thanks for your call. Thank you. What are the big changes? I know Europe is investing in its roads a lot. Every time I go, my guidebooks are out of date because there's a new bridge and a new tunnel and the trip is quicker. How do you see the investments in Europe's road system? What are the triumphs and, and what are the, the challenges? I think in most countries, especially the low countries, have problems with a lot of traffic. There's, there's a big issue there. So they actually add more lanes. Basically, that's what happens. That's the big, so, so the big challenge, because the, the low countries are the most densely populated part well, of yeah, Europe, of course, Belgium of course, and Holland. Especially if you go to Holland, Holland even yeah. more than Belgium. And everything is concentrated in, in an area of about 60, 70 kilometers, which is that's really right. small. And, you know, they reduce the speed there also to 100 kilometers per hour. So you cannot go faster there so in they that need, area. They need more lanes. More lanes, exactly. And you can get some terrible traffic jams in Germany, especially, yes, I think. Yes. I've been 10, 15 kilometers of traffic lined yeah. up. Joe, do you see any uh, impressive investment in tunnels and bridges? What's happening in Europe this way? I think uh, they make some good uh, new routes uh, direction. Amsterdam, for example. Mm-hmm. They go from two, three lanes, they go to five lanes. Mm-hmm. And that's much better traffic jams are... It helps. Not so big anymore. What about big tunnels under the Swiss Alps and in Austria, the Alps, rather than going switchbacking across the mountains? Are there, talk about some big tunnels. We drive through the Gotthard Tunnel. At, How long is that? That's 17 kilometers. It's about 10, more 10 than, 11 more than miles. 11 miles. 11 miles. Under the mountain. Yeah. Do you yeah. have a problem being not hypnotized? It's not my favorite. Not really. No, no. I like that the similar one over the past. I like going switchbacking over, yeah. yeah. I think most of the tour groups are sleeping by the end of a 10-mile-long tunnel. <laughs> yeah. In big cities, for example, especially when you talk about Switzerland, in Switzerland, all the cities are now creating tunnels. It's bad for tourism because they don't want you to see anything. You have to go underneath the tunnel, get out when you pass the uh, the city. But it's a blessing for the people in that city. They exactly. don't want the people... in All over Europe, we have these wonderful periphery roads yes. around Paris, around Brussels, where you don't go through the middle of the city. You take the freeway around always faster mm-hmm. than going through the city, I would yeah. think. Mm. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Our email is radio at ricksteves.com. And Nicole in Victoria, British Columbia, emailed us, and she says, is my regular driver's license valid in all European countries, or is there other paperwork I need to get anywhere? What do you know about drivers with an American license Well, for a normal car, with an American size car, driver's license, uh, it would be okay. For a normal size car? Yes. So any, any American or Canadian who, wants, who has a valid license here can go to Europe and rent a car with no problem. No. That's my no experience, problem. too. A lot of people think about this international driver's license, which you can get at AAA. You do. It's you cheap, can. And yes. it's, it's a valid piece of photo ID. But in most cases, it's not required. In a rare instance, you can get a fine by not having an international driver's license because it provides the policeman with a formal translation of your license plate. 
But uh, if you talk to people who rent cars, they'll tell you it's no problem. Your no American problem license whatsoever. is good enough. For travelers, a big issue of uh, stress is driving in the cities now. More and more cities are becoming car unfriendly. In Florence, we can no longer get our buses to the hotel in the center of the town. What's the trend, Demi, for driving in the center of the city for people with cars? I would suggest that stay out of the, the center. So they have uh, park and ride they do facilities. Have big parking lots now. For example, in some cities, they have actually free shuttles to get you into town, which is fantastic. Of course, you don't need to That's worry brilliant. about it. Salzburg yeah. has a beautiful plan that exactly, way. Exactly, yeah. We yeah. have in Belgium, where actually where we live nearby, Hasselt mm-hmm. has done that, was one of the first cities that has created parking lots around it, free shuttles to go in. And many cities are creating a congestion-free zone or a congestion fee where you have to pay if you're not a resident to go into the center, and they will give you subsidized parking and a shuttle service in. A lot of other cities have cameras that will photograph any license plate that comes in, and if you aren't a resident or legal in there, you're going to get a fine in the mail, up $100 or something. If you are staying at a hotel, ask at the hotel if it's okay, and you can drive through that zone but you will have uh, to do the paperwork with your hotel and they'll have to report your car to the police and then you'll be legal in the city center. So be aware of that, but Europe is very densely populated, a lot more so than most of the United States, and Europe is working aggressively to help uh, decongest the uh, centers of the cities. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about driving in Europe. For a lot of people, you know, they're just hell-bent on getting to their city, but for a person who likes to drive, driving is part of the fun. I'm going to ask Joe and Dimi, what are your favorite driving experiences? What's something particularly enjoyable for you as a driver? Joe Stulens. I like it driving up the mountain and make a stop on top in the snow in summertime and the people enjoy it and I like that. Wonderful. You take the switchbacks up and up and oh, up? Oh, yes. What, oh. Mount, what is the pass we're thinking about here? I, I'm thinking about the Gotthard Pass, going down the Gotthard Pass, and then if we feel that the people enjoy it, we take another one, we go over the Susten Pass, and we end up in... In Lauterbrunner. So you're going through the Swiss Alps, and you stop at the top, and people yeah. can throw snowballs in the middle of the summer. In the summer, yeah. And uh, Dimi Rigas, what is an enjoyable part of your work? Whenever you arrive to a new destination and bring people safe to that destination, and, you know, they, especially if you drive through mountains and high passes and, and turns, and, you know, people are so impressed by it, you driving this big, huge vehicle through those narrow roads... And, you know, they clap their hands, and, and, you know, when you get to the destination, it gives you such a great feeling. And I would remind all the travelers, when you get into town, if your driver has gotten you there safely, it is a good, appropriate thing to give them a round of applause and appreciation. And apparently you guys hear that, and you enjoy it. Very appreciated. Absolutely, yes. yes. Well, thank you, and uh, enjoy your driving all through Europe with so many American travelers. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Rick. Imagine driving yourself past fragrant fields of lavender and bloom. We'll explore the highlights of Provence in the south of France in just a bit. Next, we're getting tips for driving in Ireland, where we'll find out what other options you have for getting to those charming coastal villages and rural scenes all around the island. 877-333-RICK. That's our phone number at Travel with Rick Steves. People in Ireland are famously friendly and accommodating. In fact, it's the only place I've ever driven where I just missed the ferry by about a minute and the pilot saw me, actually turned around and came back to pick me up. Driving in Ireland also has plenty of things to watch out for, like high hedges blocking the view on narrow country lanes and the occasional sheep crossing that forces you to just wait and enjoy the scenery. 
But while driving is the most convenient way to explore the Irish countryside, there are other, less expensive transportation options. Joining us with their recommendations for getting around in Ireland are tour guides Barry Maloney, based in Kinsale in County Cork, and Susie Miller, who lives up in Belfast in Northern Ireland. Susie and Barry, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. Happy to be here. Do you know the little ferry I was talking about is north of Dingle, going up to Connemara? There's oh, a yeah. tiny... Oh, um, yeah, across the Shannon, yeah. Yeah. Tarbot to Kalimer. And the ferry, I missed it by, you know, 30, 40 seconds. He actually saw me drive up, and he came That's back it. and picked I, me up. That was on the Kerry side, I'd say. It was on the Kerry yeah, side. Yeah, That's yeah. right. So what do you mean by that? That's interesting. Uh, they like those kind of quirky things, you know? Okay, so that was... And they've got a lot of ish things going on, so... Sort of the charm of Ireland and, and meeting the people. You can hardly help to meet the people as you get out and about. It's a small island, about 100 miles across, the size of Maine under 5 million people. You know, when I first went to Ireland, there was no highways, but now you've got highways. Why is that, Barry? There's been a lot of investment from the European Union Mm -hmm. in the last 40 years into the infrastructure in Ireland. So we, for the first time, we have what we call motorways. Motorways. They're small by European standards, but four lanes is a pretty big road in Ireland. But we still, away from that network, there's still, as you know, the small, tiny winding roads. And that's the way to really... That takes time. You're constantly focusing. You've got to be you know, defensive concentrating. driving. You've got to be concentrating. If it's really beautiful, you better stop the car and get out instead of trying to sightsee and drive at the same time. That's it. Susie, you live up in Belfast. Uh, it's much easier to get from Dublin to Belfast now. By Talk about the train connection from Belfast and Dublin. Really easy. It's a two-hour train ride, and those trains go pretty much every two hours. So the first one gets you in from Dublin to Belfast just before 10 o'clock in the morning. So it's achievable to do a day's sightseeing, even if you're based in Dublin, you can head up to Belfast for the day and get the last train home about 8 o'clock. So. And if you've got four days in Dublin, I would say the most interesting thing to do in that fourth day might be to consider going up to Belfast. Absolutely, yes. It's not going to take anything out of you at all, and you'll see a completely different city. Now, Dublin is the, the major city of the Republic of Ireland and, and clearly the transportation hub. What does that mean to a traveller? Well, yes, you've got not only the two main train stations, one heading north, one heading sort of south and west, but you've also got a very sophisticated tram system which links up all of that. And then getting from Dublin out into the rest of Ireland, Barry, it it seems like Mm -hmm. if you want to go from one point in the countryside to the other, the buses or the trains or the freeways may take you through Dublin. Yeah, Dublin is the centre of the spider's web, we'll say. But um, because of the low population density in Ireland, as you go further, further out the links are less strong. And that's why so many people feel the need to rent a car in Ireland. You know, that's a good point. Let's just talk about taking the train. You may have a train pass, but you might want to consider renting a car. What are the pros and cons of driving and train? Just in terms of time and more bang for your buck if you rent a car, because if you get a train, you may, go, you may get to your destination, destination number one. But to get to destination number two, you have to come back in towards a central connection and out again and then maybe get a bus from there. It takes a lot of planning ahead Mm -hmm. and a lot more time. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're joined by Susie Miller and Barry Maloney talking about getting around in Ireland. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Erin is calling in from Duluth in Georgia. Erin, thanks for your call. hello. Hi. Got a comment for Barry or Susie? Uh, Well, my basic question was whether or not we should drive in, in some areas of Ireland and you have touched on that already, um, because sometimes we enjoy taking the public transportation and we haven't had experience driving on the left-hand side. Mm-hmm. So um, I think Erin, uh, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Lovely Irish name. Yes, that's right. And I think uh, you don't need to worry too much about that. And there's things you can do to help. For example, I'd recommend renting an automatic car. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because remember I spoke about earlier, a lot of curving, narrow roads. Uh-huh. If, if you've got gears, you'll be changing the gear a lot of times, and it, the gear stick will be on the wrong side mm. as well. Now, thankfully, the brake and accelerator will be in the same place. <laughs> well, that's good. That's a help. <laughs> that's actually very you don't good. Want to mix those, you don't want to shuffle those. You know, Aaron, you're talking about using public transportation to meet the people, and of course that's true in Ireland as well, but it's very easy to meet the people just by taking a walk or going to the pub, and you'll be staying in B&Bs. And the advantage of having your own wheels is really impressive in Ireland because you can get from town to town by public transportation, but a lot of the charm of Ireland, I would say, is out in the villages and in the countryside, and that's if you have your own wheels... Yeah. You'll get a lot accomplished. Definitely. Susie? Yeah, Aaron, I wouldn't be afraid of it. Once you get out of the big cities, you'll find that people are very forgiving on the roads. It'll be obvious you're driving a rental car because it'll be marked up as such, and they will cut you a bit of slack. And, and I assume the rental cars are pretty readily available in the other areas. 
Yeah, you know, you're you're probably going to get more choice, and especially what Barry was talking about, uh, getting a, an automatic car. Most of the rental cars will be stick shift, so mm-hmm. make sure when you're booking one, when you're reserving one, that you ask for an automatic. Uh, so you're probably better getting it in one of the smaller cities, somewhere maybe like Galway or Ennis or mm-hmm. one of the, the Midland cities, and then taking it from there. And I would remind you, Aaron, uh, when you have a large company with many offices, you can generally pick up the car at one office and leave it at another, and that can be a convenience for you. You could fly into Shannon Airport and then drop the car when you get to Dublin, and you wouldn't want to use the car in Dublin, that's for sure. No, I'm sure not. Right. And while Barry said uh, the automatic makes it easier, and it certainly does, if you like to drive and, and you're adept at that sort of thing and, and flexible, I wouldn't be too afraid of a stick shift. It's, but the fact is you're going to be starting and stopping a lot. Uh, there's little tiny roads and lots of curving, so it would be much more probably relaxing to get an automatic. Hmm. Thanks for your call, Aaron. Well, and thank you so much. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mimi's on the line from Memphis, yes. Tennessee. Hello. Thank you. My question has to do with driving as well. My husband and I have made many trips to Europe and uh, all over the world, actually, and we love getting a car and driving so we can meet the locals and stay in the small hotels and just soak up the culture. We've never been to Ireland. My husband is 76 years old, and I'm 72, and I have read that you can't rent a car in Ireland if you're past 75. I think that's a misconception. I, there might oh really? be there might be an extra insurance charge, maybe. Uh-huh. But definitely, you can rent a car. Definitely, I've met loads of customers come Over come to my hometown driving around. Yeah, oh, rental yeah. car. Loads of them. Yeah, but there may be there may be an extra charge. I maybe shop around online. That mm-hmm. would be okay. the the best tip on that. And don't be afraid to email a company. You know, like they have these search engines that you'll meet on a website. Okay. But don't be afraid. Click on the email and send. Well, that that answers a lot of uh, what I was was going to ask then, because if we can rent a car, then that solves my problem. Oh, but well. my yes. second question was going to be, if you don't rent a car, what are the options? Can you get out to places like, for instance, I'd like to maybe spend a couple of nights in Dingle, uh, oh, or yeah, maybe go to Kinsale. Uh, oh yeah, you can. You see, this is a perfect example. From Dublin, you can bus to Dingle, probably be as quick as the train. But then your next step to get to Kinsale will take you a bit longer because you have to get a bus from Dingle back into Tralee. It just takes a little bit longer and a little mm-hmm. bit more planning ahead, but it's well possible. And, and I, I found in, in Ireland that you just have to live with the sparse schedules. So you have to, mm-hmm. when you arrive, you check what your departures are. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, there's not a departure tomorrow morning. I need to sightsee quickly and I'll move along before dinner or... Uh, you know, there's plenty of departures, and then I can and be more relaxed about it. That's mm-hmm. it. Mimi, when you're thinking about driving in Ireland, uh, we've got Susie here, who's from Belfast in Northern Ireland. Susie, if somebody like Mimi is driving around Ireland and they're interested in the entire island, mm-hmm. are there any concerns these days about crossing the border and safety and so on if you rent a car in the Republic and taking it into Northern Ireland? No issue at all. You're free to go wherever you want on the island with it. In fact, you won't even know that you've crossed a border. There is no physical border now between uh, Northern Ireland and the Republic. So the only reason you'll know that you've crossed is that the road signs change and suddenly you're into miles instead of kilometres. Other than that, no, you're, you're not going to pass a customs checkpoint or anything like that. It's interesting. Ireland is a little more European Union. So you've got the euro in Ireland and you've got kilometers. Right. I, was, and you, I was going to say, you, yes. you change currency as well. Is yes. that correct? Yes, right. you're on to Great British pounds then when you get up Do into say, the north. stay on the same side of the road. And oh, yes. Can you imagine <laughs> the chaos? Oh, that would be something. <laughs> Mimi, thanks for your call. Thanks, oh, Mimi. Thank See you. you in Ireland. See you in Kinsale. Okay. Susie Miller from Belfast and Barry Maloney from Kinsale are sharing their tips for getting around Ireland with us right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Aaron's on the phone from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Another Aaron, I think, Another we're attracting Aaron. all the people oh of Irish heritage. Aaron, thanks, thanks for your call. <laughs> Hello, thanks for having me. Hi. So actually, my fiancé and I are planning our honeymoon in Ireland for this October. Wow. And um, we're planning to, it'll be our second trip, we're planning to fly into Shannon and we want to go back to Doolin and to the Aran Islands for the first time. Mm-hmm. So our question is kind of about getting to the Aran Islands at that time of year, and should we still rent a car and then leave it somewhere to go to the Aran Islands or public transportation? Well, um, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. When did you get engaged? We got engaged last October, actually, in um, Orvieto, Italy. Oh, oh nice. that's what beautiful. <laughs> what a romantic spot, and you're going to follow it up with well, a good trip to you know, Ireland. You know, Aaron, I think mm-hmm. it's destiny you called, because... Three years ago, this time three years ago, I got engaged in Dingle. Oh, and wow. 
I came to visit my friend Rick and he advised me on the hun- best place to honeymoon. And you know where we honeymooned? Arvieto. <laughs> oh, I'm wow. serious. Whoa. In La Roca. You know La Roca? Yes, That's I do. Agroturismo up nice. near the town of Arvieto. Wow. I love Arvieto. Beautiful place. So Erin's talking about getting Aaron. to the Erin Islands. And Erin is yes. spelled, your name is E-R-I-N, but Erin Islands, A-R-A-N. Yeah. And this really is Ireland in the extreme in a lot of ways. It's off the rugged west coast of Ireland. You can get there by a, a sporadic boat from uh, Connemara, but a regular cheap plane from Galway and a regular ferry w- with the waves or without the waves from a, a car park a little bit farther north of Galway, right? Rossville, yeah. Rossville. Rossville. What, is, okay. what is your advice? Erin, uh, are you planning to stay on the islands? Yes, probably yeah, for excellent. a couple of nights. That would be excellent because then you'll get a really romantic feel. Mm-hmm. The Iron Islands can be quite busy during the day when the ferries are operating, but after four or five o'clock, you'll have the place to yourselves. So... You can really, you can explore the part of the islands that the day trippers don't go to while they're okay. there. And then at three or four o'clock, when all the day trippers are flooding back to the ferry, you head up towards Donangus and oh. soak in the romance and see the sunset. To be on all the end of the world. alone on Donangus. Yeah. This is this Iron Age fortress that just hangs on the cliff. I always remember the Irish stand there and they gaze out at the Atlantic and they say, ah, oh, the next parish over is Boston. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you look straight down and your your stomach is just doing flip-flops. There was a movie, a recent movie. Did you see that? That romantic comedy, uh, Leap Year? Uh-uh. Amy no. Adams was in it. Uh, maybe you should watch that before going because a very romantic scene was shot right up at Donegas. But the point here, Aaron, mm-hmm. is to be on the Aran Islands before and after the tourist crowds that day trip in. And it really okay. is other. It's just a very memorable experience. Best wishes to you. And Aaron, just before you go, um, because uh-huh. of our connection, reversing the honeymoons and all that, please get in touch with me before you plan your honeymoon. And I'll personally make sure you have a fantastic time in Ireland. Oh, great. Thank okay. you so much. You can, you can email Barry at radio at ricksteves.com. There Excellent. you go, Barry. Helping out a honeymooner in Ireland. Thanks, Aaron. Best wishes. Thank you. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and as we do every week for an hour, we explore the world. And today we're talking about getting around Ireland. Joined by two guides, Barry Maloney from Kinsale in the south and Susie Miller from Belfast up in the north. Susie, when you're driving around Ireland, exploring Ireland, what's one little unique special moment you might have as as you're uh, enjoying your rental car? My my must-see for anybody who's going to be doing it independently in a car is to take the Antrim Coast Road. Now, this is a, a road that was built in the 1800s, and it hugs the northeast coast of Northern Ireland. You start in Belfast, and it takes you right up to the Giant's Causeway, and the scenery is better than Big Sur. I've got to tell you, it's better than Big Sur. We can't promise the weather, but it is absolutely spectacular. You've got to do it. And park the car, get out and sample the whiskey, get out and uh, go to the castle and, yep. and the rope bridge. What's go, the bridge? Yep, there's the Carrickareed Rope Bridge, which uh-huh. is a bridge for fishermen strung across a big oh. crevice of roaring sea. It looks scary, but it's not really. Uh-huh. You've got Dunluce Castle, great picture points. Next stop over is Scotland. So beautiful sunsets up there as well. Nice. So you can't miss it. And Barry Maloney. I think uh, the best thing, even when you're driving in a car, is try to engage with the people you pass. And the easiest way to do that is... Don't be afraid. You will get lost. That's for sure. So don't be afraid when you do get lost to ask. Pull in at a little house if there's a room to pull in. Ring the doorbell. Ask directions. Do something like that. Get, it, get into it because in Ireland, when I leave County Cork, I get lost. The signage is not fantastic. It's okay, but, you know, don't be afraid. And when you do get lost, engage. Open up the conversation. Right. Don't don't go jumping in. Is this the way to Canarney? Ask them right, know, yeah. what's going on. And in, a, in, a, in an island as friendly as Ireland, getting yeah. lost could be a blessing. Yeah, and a roadblock could be a sheep or cattle crossing the road. Talk to the farmer. Talk to the farmer. While they're crossing. I like Ask them, how's the, how's the farming season? How's the weather? And then, is this the road to Canarney? And off you go. Barry Maloney, Susie Miller, thank you so much for some very good tips on thank getting you. around in your beautiful island. Thank you Ireland. very much. Thanks, Rick. When Travel with Rick Steves producer Sarah McCormick went to Ireland, she noticed how easy it was to find yourself in the middle of a sing-along. All over the country, she discovered that the Irish really cherish their songs, and they all seem to know the words, at least the chorus, and they're not afraid to jump in and sing, no matter what their voices sound like. It's my first night in Ireland. I visit a place called the Dawson Lounge, which bills itself as Dublin's smallest pub. And it feels like it. It's not much bigger than my college dorm room. 
It's late in the evening, and a group of very happy people at one of the bar's two tables invites me to join them. Come sit with us. They're a group of tourists like me, Americans and Australians, plus some local girls. And instead of talking, we just sing. The Guinness probably has something to do with this. But there's a lot of beer in the U.S., too, and I've never walked into a sing-along like this at a bar back home. In the town of Westport, in County Mayo, my Irish friend takes me to a pub to hear a man he claims is an encyclopedia of Irish songs. The man's in his 80s, and he sings without accompaniment, sitting on a stool in the back of a crowded pub. He's surrounded by delighted tourists, and a group of young local boys I would have expected would be spending their Saturday night hanging out in a nightclub, not with a man their grandfather's age. But they listen respectfully to each song he sings, and try to stump him by coming up with requests for one he doesn't know. They can't. So now me boys take warning, stay single while you may, for if you will, you'll be a slave until your dying day. And the lady with the lovely face and smile so warm and grand, she's probably a devil too, like my old Mary. Irish people generally know lots of songs. Or they pretend to do. That's Liam O'Reardon. He's a singer from County Cork and a popular local performer in the town of Kinsale. When the pub fills with tourists, he teaches us the words to some popular Irish songs. Here we go, come on. A lot of our history is, is in our songs. So they either, you know, remember a battle or the famine or immigration. As we stumble through the lyrics, the locals in the pub join in or at least mouth the words while tapping their toes, like they can't help themselves. You know, Irish women, when they're doing their work, would sing, you just listen and hear things, and you just pick up the songs that way. From a pub somewhere in Ireland, where I'm singing very badly, but enjoying every minute of it. This is Sarah McCormick for Travel with Rick Steves. When you look at the visitor statistics, the most popular destination in the world is France. And if you're looking for postcard-perfect scenery, great food, and a chance to relax, Provence is the French region you're probably imagining right now. Up next, Guides from France take your calls at 877-333-7425 as we explore the countryside attractions of the south of France. It's Travel with Rick Steves. When you read Peter Mayle's books, or when you admire the paintings Vincent van Gogh created there, it's hard to resist the impulse to plan a trip to Provence. Blue skies, stone houses and bridges, warm, expensive fields of lavender and sunflowers, and a soundtrack of chirping cicadas are all part of the scenery that makes Provence so appealing as the quintessence of the French countryside. Let's explore the south of France right now with French guides Virginie Moray and Patrick Vidal. End your calls at 877-333-7425. Patrick and Virginie, thanks for joining us. Bonjour. Bonjour. What is it about Provence that people think is so quintessentially French? How, how would you characterize Provence, uh, Virginie? Being from the north of France, I can say that on several aspects, Provence is different. The food, the climate, the land, the soil itself, the houses, the customs colors and all of their heritage sites. Olive oil for the food. Mm-hmm. The sunshine obviously is linked to, uh, to the food we have and the tiles that we use for the houses. And the people live outside. And that's also linked to the weather. So, so there's like a continental divide culturally and with lifestyles in Europe and it goes right through France, doesn't it? Exactly. The north of France would be more like the north of Europe. And of course, the south of France has got that Mediterranean quality. Patrick, you know, we have this clichetic image of Provence made so famous by Peter Mayle and his wildly popular book, A Year in Provence. As a French person, what's your take on the image that Americans take away with that book, and will they find that when they go to Provence? 
Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's very the um, the stories about what's uh, what's happening there are pretty close to what's going on here. But I, f- I find it even more interesting because Peter Mel is not only telling you it's a marvelous country in summer. Come come and spend your holidays there. He's also telling you be careful. Winter are, are tough, and it's not that easy to live there. And that's very, I think that I think that very very important. Talks about the wind. Yeah, talk about wind. tell about the wind. About the wind. This mistral wind is the wind coming from the northern part of the Alps, and which is kind of funneled down when he goes along the uh, the Rhone Valley. Getting speed as he gets squeezed between the Alps and the Massif ah, Central. On the so other there's side. like a big geological funnel, and Absolutely. the wind comes mm-hmm. barreling through there. And Peter Mayo wrote famously, "It's so brisk and, and bold it can blow the ears off a donkey." And when you go around, you see you see stones on the tiles roofs of the homes just to keep the stones there. Yeah, it's a very 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 big influence to the style of life of people. I mean, you got to do your houses according to that. You got to orient your places. You live according to that. I've got a lot of friends living in the south of France and in Provence, and when you call them in the summer, you are in the north, you say, oh, the weather here is not very good, and they tell you, oh, it's all sunny and nice, and you hear at the back this wind, doing a thing. You can't go out, it's too strong, it's too cold, but it's blue sky, that's nice. That's blue sky, the, the clouds can't survive with all that no, wind, I no, don't no, no. think. So Provence is, a, is an extreme place. For, for yeah. the rest of the climate of France, it's a very extreme place. It's very, very hot in summer. What's the wind called that comes off of the Alps? The Mistral. Mistral, Mistral. okay. Tell us where Provence is and, and what are the big cities in Provence, uh, Virginie? Southeastern France. Southeastern South okay. France. And the big cities we have in Provence, the biggest would be Marseille, which is on the coast. Mm-hmm. And then uh, along the, the Rhone, we would have Arles, mm-hmm. Avignon. Avignon. Those are two uh, bases that you could mm-hmm. use if you're traveling there. And Aix-en-Provence is a, a beautiful destination also. When we travel around France, uh, of course, people are tuned into fine food. What are some of the key points of the cuisine we want to be sure to enjoy while we're in Provence? Cooking with olive oil is the main thing. That's the the diet of southern France. That's why they're healthier, Mm -hmm. I guess. Hmm. And lots of veggies. They have so much sunshine that the veggies and the fruits are just in every dish. Ratatouille, Mm -hmm. which is the typical dish you could have in Provence, is made with tomatoes, garlic, onions, eggplants. Right. Now, Patrick, when you're traveling anywhere in France, you will see on the menu à la Provençale, right? What does that mean? À la Provençale means you're going uh, to have herbs, herbs from Provence. You could have olives. Uh, you'll have a bit of garlic as well and uh, more Mediterranean style. Nice. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and we are immersing ourselves in a beautiful corner of France with two great guides, Virginie Moret and Patrick Vidal. Virginie, if you're both guides and you take groups of Americans around France, uh, if you had the luxury of having one week with your group in Provence, how would you spend it? Very briefly, Virginie. I would base myself in Arles or Avignon. Arles or Avignon. A-R-L-E-S or Avignon. Okay. And I would definitely make a point of going to the different uh, Roman ruins that we have because they're in better shape than what you can see in Italy. They say the best Roman ruins are in southern France, Mm -hmm. uh, specifically the uh, Pontegard, the great aqueduct. 30 miles long that, that brought water into the Roman city of Nîmes. And it's been there for 2,000 years. Incredible. Still standing. Amazing Incredible. moment. Formidable. Formidable. Is that the word in French? Formidable. Formidable. And also, if you're staying in Arles, you do have the amphitheater, which is really well preserved. Great Roman sites in the city of Arles. In fact, that's why I like to... There's a lot of reasons, but it's an inter- interesting debate. Where do you make your home base? Because there's good public transportation, easy to drive. You could stay in Avignon or you could stay in Arles. Personally, I would stay in Arles. I just think it's got a very charming uh, downtown, and it's got these incredible Roman ruins right in front of you. The, the theater is still being used, isn't it? The theater is being used, so you get life. In, when you're in Arles, you're not just seeing the ruins. Mm-hmm. You actually have the life of the city, and it's a so great you're, city. You're making your home base in Arles or Avignon. You'll see the Roman ruins. What would another dimension of Provence to be sure to see in your week? Patrick? You could follow the steps of Peter Mel and do a little bit of the Luberon. That's a place where you would need a car because you can't go by public transportation. This is Luberon, L-U-B-E-R-O-N? Absolutely. Okay. Yes, that's how it's spelled. What, what would be the best town to see in the Luberon? Well, one of my favorite ones is Roussillon, which is a little hill town and which is perched on the, on a cliff which is made of ochre, which is a kind of a reddish, sandish uh, lime, which gives an amazing color to the town and which makes it uh, very, very different from any other one around. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about Provence with Virginie Moret and Patrick Vidal. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Richard's calling us from Rochester in New York. Richard, thanks for your call. Hey, hello. Uh, we traveled to Provence last spring and uh, did the coast, and then we stayed in Remy. One of the other tips I think I figured out is there's a local, I call it the Walmart, the Carrefour. 
and uh, that's a great place to buy the inexpensive pickets for cheeses and uh, wines. So let's talk about that just for a minute, because this is interesting. The French Walmart Carrefour. Can you talk about that, Virginie? We actually invented the concept of the big supermarket like this. Yes, the French did. So Supermarché. You even have a hypermarché. 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 There you go. One better. So we do have the small markets and we do have the small bakeries and uh, delis and things like this. But we did invent the Carrefour and you find everything there, which I believe... For tourists, it's very convenient, but it's far away from the dream that you have of the French going shopping every day. Yeah, that's true, because you have to make that choice, and I'm sure Richard balanced this. You could, uh, you know, deal with the colorful markets, or you could just pull your car into the big, giant Walmart of France and do your shopping in a one-stop, quick, efficient way, like a lot of us do in a big box store. The market town in, I think it's AIXX, we X. did the market day there, so that was a good contrast for the, uh, for the large, uh, big box store. Patrick, if you go to the great market, I think it's you have to be in the city in the right day, don't you? And it's, the market is really just bustling, and you've got different dimensions. What cultural insights can we learn from our visits to the markets in these great cities? Well, first of all, yes, the the market is once a week, some sometimes twice a week. In okay. in Arles, for instance, it's Saturday and Wednesday. But it is worth planning for because it's it is is worth a planning festival. around that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The the largest one in Provence is in the little town of Carpentras. C-A-R-P-E-N-T-R-A-S. It's a bit north of Avignon, okay. and it's the, it's the largest one, and it's very untouristy. It's, uh, right. it's, it's very, very interesting. Uh, but, I mean, the idea about the market for us is, is about, it's about local food. It's mm-hmm. getting to taste the olives and, uh, and get some herbs to put on your cheese when you eat your cheese later on, and, and, and so on. There you go. Richard, thanks for your call. Okay, thank you. Sue's on the line in Girdwood, Alaska. Sue, thanks for calling in. Thank you. I'm planning a trip to Provence, and I'd like to come at a time when I can see the lavender, but not so late in July that I get stuck with the huge crowds. What's Mm. the best time to come? You know, that is such a good question. I have seen the lavender in the markets, because you can see lavender in baskets in the markets, but to see those beautiful fields like you see on the postcards with all that gorgeous purple lavender... Virginie and Patrick, what's the best tip to see the, the lavender? May and June, depending obviously of uh, how the winter was, and you'll have fields of yeah, purple fields everywhere. Uh, the thing is that when you're in Provence and you want to see some field, you very often have to get a little bit out of the beaten track, so you need a car. Uh, mm-hmm. By public transportation, you, you won't see much of that. And uh, There's a couple of places where you've got churches surrounded by lavenders and and some very, very nice pictures to be taken. But you've got to dig a little bit and, and look for it. Sunflowers, too. It's a beautiful postcard Sun, image. Sunflowers is very nice. It's a bit later. It wow. comes so, a bit later. Okay, but, uh, so if you miss the lavender, you can get the sunflowers. Absolutely. Van Gogh must have been there a little later because I've seen more Van Gogh paintings of sunflowers than lavender. <laughs> <laughs> now, Van Gogh spent his last years in Provence, and uh, interestingly enough, we don't see a lot of Van Gogh original paintings in Provence, but you do have the evocative places that inspired Van Gogh. Are there any ideas on us uh, Van Gogh fans, how we can factor that into our sightseeing in Provence? Well, if you base yourself in Arles, you can uh, walk in the steps of Van Gogh, and uh, they have easels everywhere in the city. Mm -hmm. So you actually don't see the real painting, but you see where he got his inspiration. So you can see there's these panels, these metal Mm -hmm. panels, where you've got a, a copy of the Van Gogh canvas right there with where he set up his easel, and exactly. you can see what he was looking at and how it's changed in the last uh, hundred and some years. And if you go to the tourism office, you can have for, uh, ask for a little brochure, which uh, takes you in the path of Van Gogh, and they, they show you where they are and, uh, and tells you everywhere you got to go. There you go. Thanks for calling, Sue. Happy travels. Thank you. Bye-bye. Virginie Moray and Patrick Vidal are tempting us to plan a trip to Provence right now in the south of France on Travel with Rick Steves. We're at 877-333-7425. Melissa's calling in from Davenport, Iowa. Melissa, thanks for your call. Thank you. Got a comment or a question for our guides? Yeah, I have a question. Um, planning a trip toward the end of September in uh, Paris and Provence for at least a week in Provence. And it's been a long time since I've been there. I've got some main cities that I want to hit, and I know that the trains are good, but I'm thinking what advantages are there to actually renting the car and like what would I be missing out on just using the trains and if I do get the car do I need to be worried about parking paying for parking those kinds of inconveniences well first off the the major cities of the Provence area are so easy by train Arles Aix-en-Provence Avignon Marseille if you're going to do a city a trip just lacing together those big cities which is fine train is the best thing 
But if you want to really delve into the countryside, I would imagine you'd be thankful to have a car. Uh, and then when it comes to having a car, Virginie and Patrick, what would be some uh, precautionary notes and some tips so we get the more, more joy out of our rental car? First of all, maybe the idea would be to uh, to organize your time as uh, as doing the the city parts for a while and taking the train, and then then focusing for two or three days doing the the, the sites you can't reach uh, without a car. Now, if you do that, I mean that would uh, that would make you drive mainly in the countryside, uh, which apart from narrow roads where you've got to be, I mean you don't find that kind of narrow roads in the state, so you've got to be careful about the, when you pass another car and and all of that. Apart from that. Parking in a lot of places is free. Uh, it's very well explained. It, it shouldn't be too much of a problem. You don't have to take the motorway and play with the toll and things like that. And so travel with a cell phone so you can call your hotel and get advice for them on how to get into the center and where to leave your car if you have a reservation with that hotel because that can be very helpful when it's stressful coming into a new city. Hey, Melissa, thanks for your call. Thank you so much. There is so much to talk about when it comes to Provence. We're joined by Virginie Moray and Patrick Vidal. And one thing we've yet to talk about is the Comargue. This is where the Rhone River Valley has the big, wide delta and all sorts of interesting culture and natural flora and fauna. Virginie, what about the Comargue? Well, if you base yourself in Arles, you just uh, rent a car and you're going to be in one, I believe, the second biggest delta in Europe. And you're going to see lots of wildlife. You're going to see how they have uh, rice fields over there. And uh, this is the place in France where you can see wild flamingos. And there's also some wild human culture down there, too. Yes, the, the gypsy culture and especially the town of Sainte-Marie-de-la-Mer. So what would you likely to be see if you came down there at the right time? The right time, which is uh, in the end of May, you would see uh, all of the gypsy coming for their celebration, mm. where they celebrate the Sainte-Marie and they have processions in town where they take the, the virgin from the church, mm-hmm. a very different church that they have in Sainte-Marie-de-la-Mer. And they take it uh, around town. If you know the United States and you've been to the Mississippi Delta, there's such a wonderful mix of nature and culture there. you got a similar thing going on in the Delta of the Rhone River. And uh, the other culture that we have, uh, the bull culture. They have lots of bulls that are raised in the Camargue. Now, thinking about bulls in France, Patrick, they actually have a unique French bullfight that we can see in the ancient Roman arena in Arles. In fact, it's a mix too between the old Spanish way and, and the French way. They, we still have the Spanish way. We still have the, the real bullfights where, where, the, where the, uh, bull dies. the bull dies. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, how we, we make the difference is on the posters you can see outside of the bullfight arena. If it's a fight with the name of the men yeah. playing on the, on the thing, it's going to be one of those Spanish type when the bull is killed at the end. But what I love is the French type. Where they the second part yeah. is the is the idea is it's not with bulls, it's with cows, with very, uh, very lean and sporty cows running around quite a lot. And But they've got big, sharp horns. Yeah, they've got big, sharp I horns. I mean, these are, as far as I'm concerned, that's one big bull coming at me. Yeah, you call yeah, him a cow if you want, but I'm running. They're fast. <laughs> You're running, that's a clever one. You need, to, you need to run. The idea is we're going to use the same arenas, and we're going to get one of those cows out, and depending on the on the region you are on, uh, one of the regions is playing more, like Camargue is playing more on catching from the horn of the cow a little a little bracelet thing, that, that a little flower thing, which is on the horn, so you've got to catch it and avoid the horn of the cow. So these daredevil young, young mostly boys will be mm-hmm. out in the arena with these crazy cows, and there's a little ribbon tied to the horns. Yes. Remember on this one on the posters, the name are the name of the cows, because those cows become They're as famous, more famous than the players themselves. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. God, there's so many dimensions to Provence, and one of the big memories for me, we talked about the Roman heritage, heritage of Provence. Everybody goes to see this towering, just dramatic aqueduct, this big Roman brick aqueduct that goes 30 miles to carry water into Nîmes, one of the highlights for me is actually turning it into a natural experience in canoeing or kayaking under the aqueduct. Patrick, talk about that. Well, the, the canoeing on this little river is uh, eventless. It's not too bad. It's not too much water. In fact, the, the place is called the Pont du Gard, which translates in French as the bridge over the Gard River. Mm. It's not a bridge, and it's not the Gard River. Otherwise, the name is pretty accurate. But, uh, <laughs> uh, it's not a bridge. It's an aqueduct. Uh, it's carrying the water. It's right. not, it was not built as a bridge. Right. And the name of the river is not the Gard. It's the Gardon. That's, oh, a, that's okay. a different name. That's the, the name of the Gard. The name is the name of the region. And have, have you actually canoed or kayaked? Down? I've canoed from the village before down to the uh, Pont du Gard itself. Uh-huh. And the, the ride itself on the river, it's not that impressive. It's a very nice scenery, but okay, yeah. that's, that's the end of the story. And then you turn a corner 
Mm. And you get in front of those three layer of arches bridge, which is enormous. Yes. And it's it's a mind blowing experience. You walk underneath there, and it seems to be huge, gigantic. I mean, it, it's it's enormous. It's it's very very impressive. And in your little kayak, you must feel so small, and you must have be filled with wonder at the Romans who could have built that. Nearly there for two thousand years. Incredible. Mm, it's, it's incroyable. Incroyable. Formidable. <laughs> I love to pick up my few little French words. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Patrick Vidal and Virginie Moret about the wonders of Provence. Patrick and Virginie, let's just finish that, you know, we Americans dream about this year in Provence thing where we pick up a little house and a fixer-upper and, and embrace the village life. If you were to retire in Provence, as so many people dream of, where would you retire and what would your home be like in the utopian golden years in your life? Virginie? It would be a small house in the hills of the Luberon, where the house doesn't have to be big, but I like to have a, the best view ever of our vineyards and have a terrace, a deck, where I could just sit all year long, even in the winter, and enjoy a glass of rosé mm. and eat bread, baguette, fresh baguette with tapenade whenever I want. A refreshing local rosé. I'll be there, I hope. Can I okay. come? Yes, you can. All You're right. invited. Thank you. Patrick, what is your dream retirement? I would move a little bit further south from that. I would go to the coast. I'm, uh, I live in Brittany. I love the sea. And uh, I would move down to the coast. And a town like Bandol or Cassis would be, for me, the perfect setting. I would have to save a little bit of money for that because it's mm. not very cheap down there. But, mm. uh, but I'd love to be able to be close mm. to the sea. And the coast is superb. You know about the, mm. the, those calanques, those little uh, fjords between Marseille and Cassis, that would be my, my spot. And if you couldn't afford a house in Bandol, you could afford some Bandol wine. <laughs> You've got to start somewhere. I love the Bandol <laughs> wine, B-A-N-D-O-L. B-A-N-D-O-L, yes. Patrick Vidal, Virginie Moray, thank you so much for a little insight into a beautiful corner of France. Provence. Thank you, Rick. Au revoir. Au revoir. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington by Tim Tatton with Sarah McCormick and Isaac Kaplan-Wolner. Our technical team includes Andrew Wakeling, Jonathan Lee, and Kate Mulhern-Graham. Our theme music is by Jerry Frank. There's more online in the radio department at ricksteves.com. That's where you can listen again to any week's show, post your comments on what you hear, and send us your own original travel haiku And we'll look for you again next week with more travel with Rick Steves. Rick Steves teaches smart travel to France, Ireland, and beyond. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours, a monthly travel newsletter, and a world of information to help you turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. To gear up for your next European adventure, begin your trip at ricksteves.com.